Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP, 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 149. Today's topic is Louisville's Green New Deal. We'll be talking about Louisville's Green New Deal in a few minutes, but first, here's what the Climate Report is all about. So we'll be talking about addressing the problem of climate change. And climate is, by its nature, a political issue because it's going to require everybody to be on board, or at least it's going to require a major shift of power. So climate is an issue that we have to deal with because it's one of the five threats to our very existence. Also, loss of biodiversity is a threat to our very existence. Also, war not least of all nuclear war is a threat to our very existence and diminishing supplies of fresh water as well as a completely dysfunctional and highly polluting agribusiness based food system so we have all these threats to our very existence what how did this happen and who made it happen and how can we be part of the solution what systems are in place that are causing us to threaten our very uh, our very existence what systems are in place that are threatening our extinction so we want to answer those questions and we want to know the exact nature of the problem and we want to solve the problem but the only way we can solve these problems is to have a complete transformation of our society and that transformation is possible and necessary It's just like the thing with renewable energy. Scientists say we have to transfer to a carbon-free energy system within 10 years. And we also know that such a transition is necessary and feasible. If it were necessary but not feasible, that would be one thing. If it were feasible but not necessary, that would be yet another thing. But it's both feasible and necessary. The transition to renewable energy is feasible and necessary, but also we're going to have to completely rethink and re-engineer our economic system. We're going to have to rework it so that it brings about a great deal more uh, economic justice and social justice than what we have now. And that's what the Climate Report is all about. This program is part of WFMP's Public Affairs Educational Programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Also, if you like this content and want more, I invite you to visit theclimatereport.net where right there on the home page you can find a link to more podcasts and playlists and videos and a good blog. So today's topic is Louisville's Green New Deal. In other words, we're going to ask and answer the question, what is Louisville's role in the Green New Deal? First of all, what is the Green New Deal? Well, it's not a single proposal. It's much bigger than that. It's not a single law. It's much bigger than that. It's not a single program. It's much bigger than that. You might say it's a comprehensive set of proposed changes that not only deal 
with issues such as renewable energy and clean energy, but it also asserts that we can't just go for renewable energy and keep the same rotten economic system that we have now. So the Green New Deal stands in contrast to the old raw deal. So we have a climate problem not just because of carbon dioxide emissions. We have a problem because of a system, call it a free market system, call it a capitalist system. I look at it as the the fairy tale free market or the free market fairy tale. It purports to be something that it's not. It purports to work magic and it does not. It purports to, to be compatible with democracy and it's not. It purports to be consistent with freedom, but it is not. So until recently, I used to kind of tippy-toe around these issues because I thought, you know, we have to have, you know, moderate people on our side. And it was my opinion that we have to, you know, appeal to the hearts and minds of, for example, small business people. But the more I look into it, the more I can see that everything that is called capitalism is just rotten from the inside out. It's a system that wants to promote unlimited consumption in a world that has finite resources. It's a system that purports to be efficient, but it's anything but efficient, unless you consider that it's efficient in polluting and it's efficient at deforestation. It's a system that says economic growth is the key to everything that is good and worthwhile. When we're not really looking for economic growth, we're looking for quality of life. Capitalism is a system that purports to be innovative, but quite often it stands in the way of innovation. Capitalism is a system that purports to be pro-business, but it doesn't do anything but stomp all over small businesses through unfair competition, etc. So that's the way I see it, and it's confusing because the word capitalism means different things to different people. The word socialism means different things to different people. But no matter what we do, we have to rethink everything because in five different ways, we're headed toward a precipice. So if someone doesn't agree with my proposals, the question is, what is your plan? And I'm not saying that in a confrontational way to my audience, but there are people like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and Mike Pence, and there are people on the Democratic side like Nancy Pelosi and... Diane Feinstein and Chuck Schumer and even John Yarmouth who you know they they purport to have doubts about this green new new deal thing but they don't have a plan they do not have a plan for how to secure the earth for future generations they do not have a plan for how to reduce corruption in business, in uh, politics they don't have a plan for ending the prison industrial complex. They don't have a plan for implementing mass transit. 
They don't have a plan for implementing solar and wind power. They don't have a plan for putting in place a state-of-the-art energy grid, which we will need if we generate most of our electricity from solar and wind. So the people that I named and many of and most of their followers are just people who don't have a plan for how to solve major problems. So rather than throwing around terms like capitalism and socialism in a way that is divisive, come up with a plan. Okay, so I have my handy-dandy numbered list here. And we're going to go through my handy-dandy numbered list and talk about some ideas related to Louisville's Green New Deal. Now, when I say the Green New Deal, to me, there are, I mean, there are different versions of the Green New Deal. There are different documents written in different time for different audiences with different purposes. So, to me, there are three big ones. The three big ones are, number one, the version that is now in Congress and being voted on. It was the one that was introduced by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. It was the one that was where Mitch McConnell orchestrated a vote where 57 people voted against it and zero voted in favor of it. So that's the congressional version. And then there's the Green Party's version, which has been around for eight or ten years. And then there's the Democratic Socialist version. All of them very good documents, but they're very different from one another because they each serve a different purpose. Some of them are made to be enacted into law, or at least a resolution. One of them is a party platform, and one of them is a set of standards or principles by the Democratic Socialists that say, here are the principles that must be upheld in order to support any legislation that purports to be a Green New Deal. So, item number one, introduction. What is Louisville's role in the Green New Deal, and what does the Green New Deal look like in Louisville? So, Louisville's role is, well, there's this um, resolution that has not been adopted by the Metro Council, but it's a a goal of making Louisville carbon-free by 2030 as far as government and 2035 overall. To my knowledge, that has not been passed, but it's something that's before the Metro Council. But Louisville Metro government needs to enact laws and ordinances and policies that somehow address the transition from a carbon-based energy system to a carbon-free energy system. Item number one, why focus on the local government? Okay, so, you know, the federal government of the United States is not only the most important uh, governmental body to try to influence, but it's also in, in, not only in, um, in the U.S., but also in the world. So that's the reason to focus on federal government, not local government. But the downside of focusing on federal government is that you're a small fish in a big pond, and it's hard to see progress, and it's easy to get discouraged. I'm not, say, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying small fish in a big pond. But plus, if you organize locally, and if you get together a political organization locally, then that local 
political organization can be used to influence not only local government, but also state government and federal government. So there's no downside here. Plus, the advantage of working locally is that you interact face-to-face with the other people, uh, and it's important to know people personally. We cannot influence anybody substantially if it's all if you if it's all digital if it's all social media if it's all email if it's all websites and uh, you just can't get to know people well enough that way so it's important to have a local organization not only to be more effective but also it's going to make it more fun it's going to make it more fun if you get together with people and interact face to face and share energy and synergize with each other and plot and plan and scheme and then go from there. Item number three. What uh, uh, item number three of Louisville's Green New Deal? What actions can we take locally? Well, the actions that need to be taken locally are similar to what needs to happen on a national and global level. We need to reduce carbon, uh, and we can do some of that locally. We need to educate, and we can do some of that locally. We need to build coalitions. And no coalition is going to be very strong without a local presence. Former Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill said, all politics are local. So no matter what you do, you need a grassroots organization on the ground. And that's what can happen if we are working locally. Also, at the local and global level, we need to uh, we need to build coalitions. We need to address all the five threats, all five threats to our existence. Uh, also, locally, we can make our community a role model, and we can work for social justice. A lot of social justice issues are local in nature, like people with L surge, Louisville standing up for racial justice, are currently on a campaign to end cash bail. That is a, a social justice issue that comes into play. And so if you work with people who are standing up for racial justice, then you will meet people who also care about environmental justice. Item number four of Louisville's Green New Deal, we need to be working for a time when we have local sovereignty. So we're in Jefferson County. Imagine, if you will, a big bright line drawn around Jefferson County. And we, the people of Jefferson County, get to control what businesses come into our county and which ones don't. Now, what I just expressed was an ideal. There are state laws and federal laws and even, don't get me started on the World Trade Organization, but there are, are state and federal laws that preempt, that control or preempt what we can or cannot do locally. And we need to work to get those laws changed. For example, it is my understanding that Kentucky does not have a local option sales tax. In other words, there is a statewide sales tax, and in some states, like the state of Tennessee, the city of Nashville could choose to add 1% or 2% to the sales tax and then keep that money and use that money locally. 
So I'm not saying that's the thing to do, but if it is the thing to do, then we need to lobby the state and say, state, we need more revenue. We're going to have a local option. We want a local option sales tax. So there's a time to go up the chain of command to the state or federal government and say, we need funding for this or we need, uh, we need the ability, we need some freedom, or we need some leeway to do X, Y, Z. So we're talking about local sovereignty. Why would we want local sovereignty? Well, for example, why is it difficult to have a successful locally owned restaurant in Louisville? The reason for that is because there is so much competition from national chains. We, the people of Louisville, could decide that we're going to place limits on the ability of national chains to do business here. Now, I'm not saying we would win every battle because there are powerful laws like the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution or like NAFTA. There are these laws that give a lot of favoritism to out-of-town companies. But we need to decide what we want, and then when state or federal or international law is in conflict with what we want, at least we know what we want, and then we can, you know, unite with other cities like Chicago and New York and San Francisco and Indianapolis and Nashville and Birmingham. These are cities that might want the same thing we want. They might think that it's a good idea for the health of our community to be able to say no to McDonald's or Taco Bell or KFC. We might, you know, we are not going to be the only community that wants to have more freedom to do business in a way that is local. For one thing, anybody who is anybody as far as being experts in how to reduce carbon, they say we need more local economies. Here, here's another way that we could and should be able to draw the line and say, here's a business that we don't want in our community, and that's petrochemical plants. So it's just an example of a, an industry that is very polluting, and if we're not careful, they're going to come into our community. So one of these days real soon, I'm going to do a series on local economies. But for purposes of this discussion, let's just say that if, we're, if Louisville is going to play its role in the Green New Deal, it's important for us to organize and to talk about what we want and talk about what's possible. We could, uh, under ideal circumstances, I don't know all the legalities of this, but we could, under ideal circumstances, be able to say no to certain businesses because, you know, we think that that business is exploitative, not just in our community, but here's a business that makes hamburgers by clearing the Amazon rainforest. We think that's bad, and we don't want you in our community if that's how you're going to choose to do business. We could also say no to businesses that exploit people, like exploiting foreign labor. We could choose to say no to businesses that bust unions in a way that we feel is unethical. It's like, clean up your act, and then we might consider you doing business in our community. Next item under Louisville's Green New Deal is asking for federal funds. So we need to educate one another. We need to organize and educate 
and in that process ask for federal funds for a variety of purposes. And we need to make sure that our congressperson is, uh, is ready to ask for federal funds in ways that help us play our role in the Green New Deal. So we may want to ask for federal funds to help build a transit system. Or we, we may want to uh, ask for assistance with building an infrastructure for solar. We may want to ask for certain provisions to be inserted into the farm bill so that we can have local farms or a stronger community of local farms because local farms and local agriculture is an essential part of any plan for sustainability. We may want to ask for local funds for building a state-of-the-art energy grid, a grid that can accommodate solar and wind very efficiently. We may want to ask for federal funds when it comes to uh, native plants or rain gardens or invasive species removal. These, you know, have to create ecosystems that are good because that, you know, that's how we go to bat for biodiversity. We need native plants for biodiversity. We need rain gardens for biodiversity and also healthy water supplies. We need invasive species removal because that's part of cultivating an environment of biodiversity. And I'm not saying any of this is easy. I'm just saying we need to organize so that we can pool our efforts. You know, when we, we need to organize and educate so that we can then pool our knowledge, pool our interests, pool our efforts. Item number six in Louisville's Green New Deal, we need to ask for relief from overbearing federal and state laws. And I've already talked about that, but one of the items is, is NAFTA and the World Trade Organization, which these, these laws have been terrible for local economies. And we in Louisville need to be among those voices that say, hey, Washington, D.C., give us a break here. You've passed these laws that do uh, great for rich people and multinational corporations. How about some relief for local economies and small businesses? NAFTA is just a terrible law. That's why I've done about 10 episodes on it. But we need a trade agreement that's not a race to the bottom. We need a trade agreement that says, if you're an American company, you can go uh, do business overseas, but you're going to pay people American minimum wages. And you're, you can only do business in places that have environmental regulations that are at least as good as ours. People think world trade and globalization is inevitable, but there's nothing inevitable about it. It is done by corporations. Corporations are a creature of law. Human beings invented corporations, and we can uninvent them, and we can reinvent them. The idea that shipping jobs overseas is inevitable is a big fat myth that has been told to the American people. So we, the people of Louisville, need to get together and ask for different laws at the federal level. Item number seven, the local option sales tax to pay for a train system. So if I'm not mistaken, we would have to go to Frankfurt and say, hey, how about, some, how about you allow a, a local option sales tax? And, and of course, that's going to be 
you know, it's going to be um, you know, opposed by business interests because business interests are always opposed to whatever impacts their bottom line. They don't care about anything but the bottom line. That's why we have all the pollution that we have. But when they pollute, they shift the costs onto the people. So we need to be able to have a local option sales tax if we, the people of Louisville, Kentucky, decide that that would be good for our community. Speaking of local taxes, we need to have the freedom to put a tax on gasoline if that's what we decide would be good for our community. Somebody might say, oh, that would be bad for local business. And my question is, what local businesses are we concerned about, for one thing? And we need to bring an end to the time when businesses can, be do, can do business and shift the costs onto the public. It's like, what's the true cost of a hamburger? Raj Patel says the true cost of a $5 hamburger is $200. Now, some people may be skeptical about that, and I don't know exactly how he did the calculation, but what's the cost of a hamburger if you've eliminated a, a, a rainforest to make the hamburger? What's the cost of a hamburger if you've got all this genetically modified corn to feed the cattle, and the genetically modified corn is, is uh, grown in such a way as to decimate the pollinators? What's the true cost of losing all of our pollinators? But let's say Raj Patel is not right, and the cost of a, the true cost of a hamburger is not two hundred dollars. Let's say it's twenty dollars. Let's reduce it by ninety percent. So you've got a five-dollar hamburger, but the true cost of it is twenty dollars. That means every time that hamburger is being sold, fifteen dollars is being stolen from the public. $15 is being stolen every time that hamburger is sold. And the government is structured in such a way as to enable that kind of theft. What do we think about a business that would not be profitable if it had to pay the true costs of what it does? What do we think about a business that is only profitable because it does not pay the true costs of, it, of its business. Are all businesses like that? No, because there are a lot of businesses that do not have a lot of negative environmental impact. And if we don't have enough businesses that don't make environmental impact, then we need to invent some. So we've got a couple minutes left. I'd like to leave you with something to think about. Here's the thing. We have the ability to create a whole new world. We have allowed business to lie to us for way too long. We've allowed business to say, you can have a strong economy or you can have a clean environment, but you can't have both. That is a lie. For, for one thing, strong economies are not made of obscene profits. Strong economies are made of jobs more jobs, less profits. I have it on good authority that clean and renewable energy creates a lot more jobs than old, dirty, polluting fossil fuels. Fossil fuel industries and petrochemical industries create a lot of profits, but not a lot of jobs. Solar technology and wind technology 
and the technology needed to create a state-of-the-art energy grid and the technology needed to implement a mass transit system. These are industries that on average create three times as many jobs as coal, oil, natural gas, and petrochemicals. So we need to change the federal government, but to some extent the federal government is not taking care of us. So we need, at a local level, we need the ability to just say no to businesses that do not work for us. It's going to take time and energy and effort, but it's not a sacrifice. In fact, it's a pleasure to get together with people who are passionate about the things that you are passionate about and working to make positive changes. That's about all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. I hope you enjoyed this. Have a nice day and come back soon.